And if you would like to follow along as we read this Lord's Day, our New Testament scripture reading, we're reading from Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them records that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. The Lord bless his word as it has been read and now as it is preached to us this Lord's day. Our text for today's Sabbath is from Proverbs 
chapter 29 and verse 5, where we read these words. A man that fought, oh, I'm sorry, a man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. How often speech is used not to convey the truth, but to promote a good feeling in others or a good response from others. This is probably nowhere better evidence than when ministers, family members, or friends stand at a funeral to eulogize one who has died. From what is said by others about the many virtues of this departed soul, you would hardly recognize him to be the same person you once knew. By the time the funeral has ended, he has become almost angelic. This is what is condemned in Scripture as flattery. How often do we ourselves make comments to others that are highly exaggerated, if not outright false, so as to place ourselves in a more beneficial position with them than we would otherwise have, or so as to spare ourselves the discomfort of telling them the truth? So we appeal to their vanity or to their pride or to their appearance or to their knowledge or to their wealth or to their gifts and graces in order to puff them up for our own advantage. Perhaps we want something very badly from others and so we flatter them. We bribe them with flattery rather than with money in order to obtain what we want. Dear ones, flattery is in fact a deceptive bribe by which we secretly extort what we want from others. And flattery is always, always condemned by God in Scripture. Let us consider this sin and how to overcome it by God's grace as we look to Proverbs 29.5 where we will focus our attention on the following two main points. First, the nature of flattery, and secondly, the consequences of flattery. The nature of flattery, first of all. The Hebrew word used for flattery here in our text conveys the idea of one who is a smooth, that word smooth, smooth talker. Oh, how slick is the flatterer. He candy coats what he says and exaggerates the truth so that he might benefit in some way from the response of those whom he flatters. Let me give you four different biblical contexts in which this word for flattery or, or flatterer is used so that you might better understand the nature of this sin. The first context. This word is used of one who butters others up with his smooth words in Psalm 55:21. There we find these 
words used of a flatterer. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Here David looks in his own life to whom he thought was a trusted friend, Ahithophel, a counselor of David, who betrayed him and counseled Absalom how Absalom might in fact destroy David. However, David also looks beyond his own life and prophesies here how Jesus would be betrayed by Judas one of his own disciples, into the hands of the Jews. Now, in both cases, the words and actions of the flatterer were not sincere. They were deceptive. Ahithophel and Judas were opportunists, looking to benefit from their flattery. I ask you, are not flatterers worse enemies than those who openly oppose and persecute their prey. They do so by stealth, under the color of friendship and loyalty and kindness, and at the right time, they then reveal their true colors as enemies. That's the first biblical context that, that I would share with you. Many places where you will find this word, but I'm just taking four. This word is also used, secondly, of the seductive woman who tells the young man whatever he wants to hear so that he might, or she might, weaken him to gain advantage over him. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16, we read these words. To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. As well as in Proverbs 7, verse 5. That they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Of course, the same may be said of a seductive man who beguiles and flatters a a very vulnerable woman. How many men and how many women, dear ones, have been duped by flattering words into marriage or into an illicit affair for money, for lust, for prestige, or for even political favors and live to regret to see how they in fact, slept with an enemy rather than with a trusted companion by covenant. A third use of this word is found in Psalm 36.2. Psalm 36.2, where we read these words. I'll begin with verse 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. Here it speaks of the wicked man who because he has no fear of God 
he flatters, not others, but flatters himself that he is a good person, that he is a religious person, that he is a law-abiding citizen deserving of the honor, the gratitude, and of the applause of others. Flattery in this case issues forth in the sweet-talking oneself with untrue compliments which only leads to self-deception concerning the true condition of one's heart. In fact, in Psalm 36, verses 3 and 4, we find the true condition of this man's heart and what he actually is really uh, like. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. Yet he flatters himself. He hath left off to be wise and to do good, and yet he flatters himself. He deviseth mischief upon his bed, and yet he flatters himself. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil, and yet he flatters himself. So many people have flattered themselves so long that they even justify their most conspicuous sins with self-flattery, such as, at least I'm not like so-and-so, or even though what I did was wrong, I'm still basically a good person at heart. Self-flatterers, dear ones, whistle and sing their own virtues all the way to hell, to their own destruction. For this reason, flattery has been called by many of our divines self-murder. They have never awakened to the holiness of God to see their own sin in light of God and in light of His holy law, which judges not only their actions, but their words, their thoughts, their desires, and intentions. A fourth use of this Hebrew word that's found in our text, Proverbs 29.5, is found in Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 24 where we read the following. For there shall be no more any vain vision nor flattering divination within the house of Israel. As we continue to read in Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we find who this particular denunciation refers to. It says in the first three verses of Ezekiel 13, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. They likewise prophesy, says in verse 10, because, even, because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace, and there was no peace. And so they flatter the people that they're fine, that they are doing well when in fact they are headed for destruction. They are headed for God's judgment. So this particular 
passage in Ezekiel chapter 12 speaks of those who claim to be the ministers of God and to speak on behalf of the Lord, but who rather flatter the people with their alleged visions, their alleged words from the Lord. How many preachers today flatter their congregations with what the people want to hear? That is, you find so often coming from pulpits, subjects or sermons related to how to be successful in the eyes of the world, how to be wealthy, how to be free of illness, how to get what you want from others, how to feel good about yourself and flatter yourself, how to receive the applause of others, how to obtain miraculous gifts, and the list goes on and on and on. This would appear, dear ones, to be the type of flattery in view. In fact, in our text, in Proverbs 29.5, flattery coming from someone in authority. For the very word that is used there for man in Proverbs 29.5 is not the generic, ordinary word that is used for man in the Hebrew language, but a word which carries the idea of one who is mighty or strong. That is, one who holds the place of power or authority. You see, the Apostle Paul foretold in 2 Timothy 4.3 that the time would come when professing Christians would not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, <clears throat> they would heed to themselves teachers who would tickle their ears with what they want to hear. This is perhaps, I would submit to you, the most aggravated form of the sin of flattery. For the flatter in this case claims to speak on behalf of God. How flatterers, dear ones, hate sound doctrine. For those who know what they are to believe about God and know what they are to believe about themselves and about others, are far less likely to succumb to the smooth words of a flatterer who would shamelessly butter them up from the pulpit. How a minister should examine himself that he not preach according to the lust of the people to gain more members in a bigger church, but that he preach to the, to the true spiritual need of his flock regardless of how popular or unpopular the truth may in fact be. Now as we consider further the nature of flattery, having looked at these four biblical contexts in which flattery is used, let us be clear as to what flattery is and what it is not. First of all, what flattery is. There are two essential parts to flattery. First of all, flattery is a deception. It is a lie wherein that which is known to be true is covered over by an outright falsehood or by a deliberate exaggeration of the truth. Beloved, flattery never makes oneself or others look worse than they are, but rather always distorts the truth in the direction of making oneself or others look much better than they really are. That's the very nature of flattery. How is that so bad, one may ask? I've made someone else feel better about themselves rather than feeling bad about themselves or feeling worse 
How is that so bad? Well, it's bad because it is a violation of the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, whether to distort the truth to make them feel good or to make them feel worse. That's a distortion of the truth. We are not intentionally to distort what is true in our use of words. Dear ones, God cannot lie. God cannot flatter. And neither should we. The larger catechism lists flattery as one of the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment. Beloved, flattery is one of those sins that I think is so easy and acceptable to sinners. Because we always like to be told that we are more righteous than we are by nature. Or more attractive than we are. Or more intelligent than we are. Or more athletic than we are. Or more gifted than we are. You see, dear ones, flattery feeds our pride. And by nature, we love it to be so. Even if it isn't accurate or true, we love to be flattered in our own nature. That is why flattery, beloved, is such a terrible enemy to our souls. It pretends to be our friend and lavishes us with kisses. But secretly it lies to us. Not as a friend, but as an enemy in distorting the truth. Dear ones, true friends, whether they are married and friends, or whether they are members of the same family and friends, or whether they are members of the same church and friends, friends don't lie to one another. And friends don't flatter one another. They speak the truth in love because they sincerely care for one another. They don't act like Judas and betraying the Lord with a kiss. Remember what Solomon says in Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The second thing that flattery is, flattery is a manipulation. Flattery is a de deliberate attempt to butter someone up for the flatterer's own advantage. He hopes to secretly extort the help, wealth, favor, support of others at the appropriate time when it is needed. And so he flatters. The flatterer, dear ones, is like Absalom, courting the favor of Israel, pretending to sympathize and agree with all the cases that came to his father David. Although a prince in Israel, Absalom would not even allow the people to give to him the ordinary respectful bow, but would stand them up on their feet and would embrace them and kiss them and tell them that if he were in power, he would deal justly with them. So he treated them as his friend and as his equal, but was deceitful, was flattering them, was buttering them up. And the scripture says that Absalom stole the hearts of Israel through his flattering manipulation. 
How often do we try in our own lives to gain the favor of others by manipulating them with some exaggerated, exaggerated report about themselves? We may say, they asked me what I thought and I just told them what they wanted to hear to make them feel good. Dear ones, God hates all strategizing on our parts wherein we use people for our own ends rather than loving people. We may even perceive that our ends at times are noble ends. Perhaps we have exaggerated the truth in order to avoid a verbal battle with someone or in order to smooth over a problem with someone or because we know that the truth will hurt them so badly. But dear ones, let us not secretly use and manipulate one another by distorting or exaggerating the truth. Let us not be associated with those who do evil that good may come. Even godly ends do not justify ungodly means. Let us consider further what flattery is not. What flattery is not. Flattery, first of all, is not sincere commendation in a job well done. We should never confuse that which is sincere and honest encouragement that's without exaggeration or distortion with flattery. For we are called, in fact, in the scriptures to commend the saints as did the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 16, for example, you can read the whole chapter, but I'll give you just a, a brief idea of the commendation and what Paul says about certain of the saints, which was true. It wasn't flattery. This was true. Look at the first four verses. We find, first of all, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor, a helper of many, and of myself also. And then verses 3 and 4, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Furthermore, <clears throat> we are to esteem. Flattery is not sincere commendation and a job well done because we're also to esteem one another for our work's sake according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 13 here it specifically re relates to esteeming elders for their work's sake but I think the principle applies to anyone who does a good job it says there and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. For their work's sake. We are called to speak the truth in love for the edification of others in Ephesians 4.15. The Lord, even in his letters to the seven churches in Revelation, chapters 2 through 3, begins with a note of sincere commendation 
wherever he can. The only two churches that have no commendation in those are the churches of Sardis and Laodicea. The Lord wasn't going to lie. But where he could commend, he did so. Dear ones, there is nothing at all sacrificed when we begin a rebuke or a correction with sincere words of commendation or thanksgiving where we are able to do so. This is not manipulation, but an act of love that one be not overcome with grief or sorrow from the rebuke or concern that is stated. Such a practice, I would submit to you, actually brings balance into the situation, brings truth into the situation, because if you were to only focus and to hit them so hard with regard to your reproof, your correction, your concern, and that's all you stated, you would leave them perhaps not with the truth where you appreciate so much more of what they have done. And so it is needful, I believe, where we can commend legitimately, sincerely, out of act of love, that we do so, even when we rebuke and when we correct. A second thing that flattery is not. We do not have to go to the opposite extreme of speaking too critically of ourselves or others in order to avoid flattery. It is so often our natural tendency to, to swing from one extreme to the other. But dear ones, we do not need to disparage our gifts and graces to ourselves and others in order to avoid the sin of flattery. To be overly critical toward oneself or others can be just as easily a distortion of the truth as flattery is. Although we are not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, Romans 12.3 says that we are to think with regard to the gifts God has blessed us with, we are to think with sound judgment, sober judgment. Certainly that, isn't, that does not imply that we are to point out to others all of our gifts, say, look at the great gifts that I have. But it doesn't imply that we're to go to the opposite extreme either, where we demean the gifts of God that God has given to us. For how can we employ, I ask you, how can we employ the gifts that God has given to us in promoting the kingdom of Christ as he has told us to do? If we don't even recognize or acknowledge or use them for his glory. How are we expressing thanks and gratitude to the Lord for the gifts that he has given to us if we deny we have any gifts or criticize them so harshly? We can always improve and grow in the gifts that God has given to us. And where we do not use them for the glory of God, we need to confess that as sin. But dear ones, let us not so demean and belittle the gifts that God has given to us and think that we are simply avoiding flattery by having such a harsh view of ourselves or others. The third thing that I want to say with regard to what flattery is not is this. We do not necessarily have to become so brutally honest with people in order to avoid the sin of flattery. For example, your wife asks you, husbands, your opinion about a dress that she has tried on, and you not only tell her that you don't think it looks very good, 
on her, but you go into vivid detail for several minutes as to how it makes her look so immense and so overweight. Please understand, dear ones, even when dealing with sin, we do not necessarily have to beat ourselves up or others up till we are a bloody pulp so that we are killing a dead horse by the words and sentiments we use. There's nothing to be gained from that at all. We are not the law of God, nor are we the Holy Spirit of God. It is the work of the Spirit to convict the Christian of sin and to bring him to the place where he sincerely acknowledges the heinousness of his sin, sorrows over his sin, looks to Christ in faith for forgiveness of his sin, and endeavors new obedience. One who has already been deeply convicted of his sin will likely be driven to absolute despair and hopelessness if we think that we must be brutally honest with a person in that state of affairs, rather than encouraging them to press on, having now seen how they have sinned against the God, we against the Lord their God, we will probably end up digging a deeper pit and burying them in that pit if we are brutally honest. When this is the case, I ask, where is the love we are to have for our brother or neighbor when we speak the truth? Instead of being a friend who sticks closer than a brother, we join hands with the devil and become an accuser of the brethren. Yes, there will be times due to the pride in ourselves and in others that we will need to confront obstinacy and sin and in error. We'll need to be very, very honest about it. But let us never be brutally honest, but always lovingly honest, speaking the truth in love, for brutal honesty, I submit to you, is cruel, whereas loving honesty is helpful. Well, let us consider the second main point from our sermon this Lord's Day, the consequences of flattery. Our text in Proverbs 29.5 states that a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. First of all, who are his feet? Spreads a net for his feet. Well, I would submit to you that first of all, flatterer sets a trap for his neighbor, that his feet are his neighbor's feet. He does so by his scheming, by the flatterer's scheming, hoping to use for his own advantage the flattery he has cast upon his neighbor. There will come a time when the flatterer will ask his favor or will seek the blind loyalty of those upon whom he has cast his net. Dear ones, if we allow ourselves to be flattered by others, not sincerely thanked, nothing wrong with that, to be sincerely thanked for a favor extended, Nothing wrong with earnestly being commended for a job well done, but if we allow ourselves to be flattered by others, embarrassingly flattered by others, we will find that such kisses from disguised friends will soon become daggers from open and avowed enemies. 
when should you suspect that you are being flattered? What are the signs that you should look for when you are being flattered? You see, it's not only a problem to the one who flatters, but if we would ourselves avoid flattery, we must avoid receiving flattery. It's not only those who flatter who have a problem, but those who accept and receive the flattery who have a problem as well. When should you suspect that you're being flattered? Let me give you five indications that you are being flattered. When it is said to you or about you, or what is said to you or about you is an exaggeration of the truth or an outright falsehood, and you know it. Now, what is said about you is an exaggeration of the truth or an outright falsehood. You're being flattered. Secondly, when there is a track record of one not being honest with you, you should be suspicious of those types of words that come from such a one. Again, you're looking for exaggeration and what they say, not representing the truth accurately. You should suspect as well that if there has not been a proven track record that they have been those who have been honest with you in the past at your being flattered. Thirdly, another evidence or indication is when there is a favor tied to the compliment. Whether it follows immediately, that's kind of uh, silly for the flatterer to immediately flatter and then to say, would you do this for me? But sometimes people do that. But they may await a day or two or, or a few days before the favor is extended. Beware. Again, if you... If what somebody says to you sounds really weird and strange by way of flattery, exaggeration of the truth, or something of this nature, be ready. Be ready for something to be said later on by way of a favor. Will you do this for me, or can you do this for me, or some kind of test of loyalty. Fourthly, when what is said is inappropriate. For example flirting with another man's wife, saying certain inappropriate things to another man's wife or another woman's husband by means of, of flattering words about perhaps, uh, again, their appearance. That's not to say that anything that one might say is inappropriate. But beware of those types of things. When it is inappropriate... Again, that would be an indication of flattery. Or when inappropriate emotion flows, a gushing. And you say, that just seems really inappropriate, just gushing over someone. Inappropriate emotion with candy-coated words. Fifthly, when superlatives are joined one to another, the best this, you are the bestest, or the greatest that, or the most beautiful, and you know the, it's always in the superlative. You ought to be suspicious of flattery, of being flattered by someone. 
Well, what should you do when you believe you are being flattered? Well, I would submit to you that you should honestly tell the flatterer that what has been said about you is not true. It's an exaggeration or there's no truth in it at all. Be honest with them. The only way to curb flattery is to confront it and to say, why did you say that? That's not true. That didn't really happen. I didn't really do that. That's not the way it occurred or happened. Where did you get that information? You know? If it continues to happen, be honest with the person and speak the truth in love and telling them that you would like the flattery to stop. Because it is not the truth and it only feeds your pride and leads them into further deception. Be honest with them. Tell them, I don't need that. This is bad for me. It feeds my pride, my vanity, and I don't need it. But dear ones, not only does a flatterer spread a net for his neighbor's feet, a flatterer spreads a net for his own feet as well. For he lives a life of hypocrisy and lies, deceiving and being deceived. A flatterer is a hypocrite. A flatterer murders his own soul for he will not accept the truth of God about the seriousness of his sin and desperate need of Christ but continues to tell a lie so often that he comes to believe a lie and to live a lie. So is the flatterer. Thomas Brooks has written in his book The Necessity, Excellency, Rarity and Beauty, Beauty of Holiness the following... Flatterers are devouring caterpillars. Tongues do more mischief. Flatterers' tongues do more mischief than persecutors' swords. For their swords can but destroy the bodies of men. But flatterers' tongues destroy the souls of men. Flatterers are the greatest soul cheaters and soul undoers in the world. And as we draw the end of the sermon today, consider the end of some of the flatterers and those who believe flatterers that are mentioned in the scripture. Eve believed the flattery of Satan. She murdered the soul, not only of her own soul, but the soul of all of her posterity, as did Adam. The princes of Darius flattered Darius, saying, Let's set aside a time, old King Darius, in which only you are besought, only you are prayed to. No other god is to be prayed, for, uh, prayed into. They were hoping to catch Daniel so as to destroy Daniel. And so they flattered the king. But as we find in Daniel 6.24, when the king saw the power of God to deliver Daniel from the lion's den, those same flatterers were cast into the lion's den and eaten alive. How about the flattering prophets of Ahab, who flattered the king in 1 Kings chapter 22, 
verses 11 through 12, and 34 through 35, and telling the king exactly what he wanted to hear, that is, that he would be successful and victorious in battle and overcome his enemies. Go forth, O king, and, and fight the battle. You'll be successful. Whereas Micaiah, the prophet, spoke to the king the truth. And the king was killed in battle. Ahab was destroyed and killed in battle, as we see later on in that chapter. Herod, you'll remember in Acts chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, received the flattery of those who came before him, with whom he was very displeased, Sidonians. And, and they flattered him as to say, you speak like a god to get in his good graces. Now, in this particular case, notice the judgment that fell not upon the flatterers, the, those who received the flattery. Herod was immediately struck by God because he received what they said and did not give glory to God. He received the flattery and was struck dead, was consumed from within by, by worms. Consider the end of flatterers ultimately, dear ones, which is very, very telling. For we read concerning flatterers who are liars, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars flatterers as well. All liars are flatterers. Sin. Flattery will send a person directly to hell because it is lying. A person becomes a hypocrite who is a flatterer. Let us, dear ones, not be like the Pharisees who merely flattered Christ with hypocritical words they did not believe. And dear ones, we as we gather before the Lord on the Lord's Day or in your secret worship or in your family worship, when you go through the motions of worship, uttering the words of God, praying while your heart and your mind are a million miles away from God, you're flattering God. You're not speaking the truth. You're merely uttering words. You're flattering God. God hates it. God abominates it. Let us beloved cast ourselves upon Christ in sincerity for flattery must flee in the light of truth how do we overcome the sin of flattery how do we overcome this terrible sin very simply be honest and transparent before God realize that God knows you inside and out you can hide nothing from God. Whether your thoughts, intentions, words, actions, those sins that you commit when no one else is around, be honest and transparent before God that you have sinned. Don't flatter yourself and don't flatter God by simply going through the motions of worship when you have sinned against the living God. I ask you, dear ones, aren't you thankful today 
that God didn't merely flatter you, but He spoke the truth to you about your sinful condition and your need of Jesus Christ. Is a doctor who simply flatters a dying patient and says to that patient, you're in great health, everything's fine, everything's going well, but does not offer the solution, does not tell him, you've got a terrible problem here. And though that person may deny it, that they have a terrible problem or illness, they may not like the doctor for telling them. Because he speaks the truth, the patient can seek the remedy to his problem. God has spoken to us the truth. He has not flattered us, beloved. He sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross. That we who are convicted by the Spirit of God of our sin and drawn unto the Lord our God, efficaciously called by God unto Himself, will turn to Christ, acknowledge our sin and our need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God continues not to flatter us when we have sinned, but the Lord also gives to us the truth concerning now the wondrous position that we have in Christ, that we are justified, that we are the adopted children of God, that we have an inheritance with the Lord. He continues to speak to us this truth. If you would overcome flattery as a sin in your life, be honest and transparent before God, Otherwise, you will be given over to hypocrisy and flattery in your life if you believe that you can keep yourself and keep your sins from God. You will be given over to that sin. Let us stand together in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we do this day bless thy most holy name and thank thee that thou hast spoken the truth to us. Thou hast not lied to us. Thou hast not deceived us. Thou art a God who cannot lie. Let all men be liars, but God is not a liar. God speaks the truth. And we would be more like thee, our Savior. We would be those who speak the truth in love. We'd be those, O Lord, who speak the truth at the appropriate times. Lord, we would be those who are not brutally honest, but, O Lord, our God, who are lovingly honest. We would speak the truth when it is when it is even hard to speak the truth, even when it may cause pain to others to speak the truth. That, Father, we would be those who will not flatter, who will not compromise the truth, who will not exaggerate the truth, will not distort the truth. For what do we have, O oh God, if we have not the truth? We lose everything if we have not the truth. We pray, our God, that Thou would help us, therefore, to love the truth, to love the gospel of Jesus Christ, to love the law of God, to meditate upon Thy word day and night, to hide it in our hearts, that we might not sin against Thee, that we might not be hypocrites who flatter Thee, flatter ourselves or flatter others. 
For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.